Welcome back, everyone, to The Schmooze, powered by JGSI. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Epstein, General Counsel at DemandBase in San Francisco, California. Welcome, Andrew. I am so excited to get a chance to speak with you today. Awesome. Thank you, Maddie. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I don't think I realized it was The Schmooze, which is awesome. So, uh, <laughs> great. Thank you. So why don't you start, take a few minutes to tell us a little bit about where you grew up, your path through undergrad, grad school, and your career, just to kind of where, tell us where you got to and how you got there today. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in, in Los Angeles, California. Um, I grew up like in Westwood, which is basically almost on UCLA's campus, actually, um, which was a fantastic place to grow up. Um, I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to go either to kind of, I went to a small private school in LA for high school. And so I knew I either wanted to like stick on that route and go to the East coast or like go to the, go to a big school that, which is very different, but these are kind of the areas where I, where I was focused. So I, my, my college tours were, were pretty funny because it was like Wesleyan and Colgate and then also Berkeley and Wisconsin and some of these other schools. Um, I ended up going to Berkeley for undergrad, which I love. Um, and I was really happy to, to stay in California, actually, um, but be kind of like far enough from home where I can uh, establish myself but still get home when I needed to. Um, and so from Berkeley, I uh, I moved, I, I majored in political economics, which is um, kind of a unique major over there. It's basically like econ light plus poli sci. Um, and it also has a, a language requirement. So um, you have to be proficient in a second language, and most of the students go uh, abroad for a semester or a year. It was actually, I, I really loved the program. Um, and then I, I moved to San Francisco for about a year and a half um, after I graduated a little bit early, actually. Um, and so, you know, so one thing is kind of uh, when I was in school, my mom got sick. And so I ended up kind of going back and forth to L.A. a lot. Um, and ended up graduating a little bit early to take care of her, um, which is kind of, it was the nice thing that I actually happened to be in California for that. Um, spent about a year and a half um, in San Francisco after graduation. And then I went to law school um, in, at GW in Washington, DC and spent three years there. Really fantastic place to go to law school. Um, a lot of really interesting opportunities. Uh, but I knew part of the reason to go to GW was to get to the East Coast. I really wanted to work in New York. Um, and I ended up working for a firm called O'Melveny and Myers, which is one of the oldest um, kind of like L.A. white shoe um, historical law firms. Um, and they have a big office in New York. And I worked in their capital markets and M&A um, departments, mostly capital markets. Um, spent about four years there um, before, you know, decided to move back to California um, and enter tech, um, which is kind of my first my first foray into tech was at a a B to B to B to C um, ad tech company called Livering. Uh, I started there as their second hire as at Liveramp, which was a subsidiary of a larger company, and um, worked my way up to eventually um, running kind of the U.S. legal team there for about four and a half years um, before making kind of my first jump into a, a GC role, which is where I'm sitting now at Demandbase and have been for the last two years. And demand base is a uh, similar-ish market. It's a it's an enterprise SaaS company um, in the Martech, you know, software space. Thank you for sharing that path. So, mm -hmm. 
start, one of the big things you mentioned was you started in kind of that traditional big law firm. You were, had a finance focus on the East Coast and you made that transition back to LA to the tech space and back into kind of a more GC role. So can you talk a little bit about that transition and maybe about how those two experiences differ for our law students who are maybe thinking of that decision of which which path to take? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I knew that I wanted to get kind of that traditional law firm experience and background. Um, and I knew I didn't want to be a litigator pretty quickly. You know, it's, it's interesting because law school, I think, unless it's changed in the last 10 years, I think law school does a really good job of um, training litigators. Um, you take a lot of classes on, um, and you think, and when you think about being a lawyer, you think a lot about being a litigator. Um, I knew I wanted to be a transactional attorney. So when I was in my first year of law school, actually, I had this really, I would say a traditional law school path, right? Is in your first uh, semester, you try to get a, a clerkship with a judge after your first uh, your first year. And then you do kind of like on-campus interviews, you try to get a firm job, you do your summer associate, and then you typically that's where you return to work. Um, I knew I didn't want to work for a judge. And so um, I actually had a really unique 1L summer job where I was in the uh, general counsel's office for the Washington Nationals, the baseball team. And then I spent my whole 2L year part-time working at the Washington Nationals. And so, um, you know, I got to see like, leasing agreements and sponsorship agreements and the Bruce Springsteen concert agreement and, you know, do baseball arbitration for our minor league and our major league players. It was, you know, so interesting to me. And it was very clear that the transactional space is where I wanted to land. Um, and so that was my focus when I was at O'Melveny. When I went and summered there, I did have a summer associate there my second year. Um, it was a smaller corporate and transactional department, but I kind of attached myself to a newer a very established but newer partner to O'Melveny. And um, and I sought him out kind of as a mentor and stuck with his group and um and and loved loved the training and the experience. Um it's it's hard, no no question. You know, big law firm life is hard, but um if you find the right mentors, I think it's really valuable. Capital markets in particular is very, very rule-based and it's very, very precedent-based okay, what did someone else do? We should do pretty much the same thing. You don't really carve out, you do to an extent, but there's there's a pretty defined path on kind of what you can and can't do. Um, that's not what I wanted to do. And so I kind of understood after about four and a half years that or four years that I wanted to try something a little bit different. And I actually got another really good opportunity at O'Melveny to, to go on secondment which is basically you're a full-time employee at another place. And I was seconded to uh, Morgan Stanley working on their kind of equity capital markets group, their leverage finance group. I know negotiated a ton of NDAs um, and both of those kind of in-house experience really taught me that the Nats and then Morgan Stanley, that this is really where I wanted to be. And I wanted to be at a small hyper growth kind of company. And most of those were, in LA or in San Francisco, and I ended up uh, choosing San Francisco. So it's very different. I mean, it's 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 personality based. Like I knew I didn't want to be a partner. I knew I wanted to get the experience, um, and yeah, I couldn't be happier with the choice. Yeah, thank you for sharing that perspective. So I want to talk a little bit about industry and kind of the industry in which you work and 
kind of trends and developments that you're seeing. So obviously you're in the tech space and that there could not be a more exciting field to be a part of, but you're, you're on the legal side of things. So I think it gives you a unique perspective. So can you speak a bit about industry that you work in and maybe trends or things that we really should be paying attention to? Yeah, um, for sure. Look, I think the biggest shift in our in, in my space, legal and tech, and particularly in the industries that I've worked in, ad tech and martech, have been the focus on privacy in the last seven years, I would say. So when I started at LiveRamp in 2016, again, what basically what LiveRamp does is they, is they, is they show different brands kind of who's in market. So like when you're getting those Instagram, well, Instagram is kind of self-policed, uh, but other places when you're kind of online looking for a pair of jeans and then you get an ad on your phone for those same pair of jeans, like a lot of that is powered by companies like LiveRamp, right? And so um, it was pretty wild west in 2016, right? Like that's just what, that's just, you know, targeted ads was, you know, was the thing. No one really thought twice about it. Um, in 2018, GDPR came out, which is the European privacy law. And all of a sudden there was this focus on kind of like uh, options and choice and what what consumers uh, want to see or have it or you know what data they can share and can't share with all these other companies um and it was a problem that all these all these folks are trying to solve and so um you know on the heels of that uh, california came out with its own kind of really like the first strong state privacy law and now i, I don't even know the count at this point but tons of other states have followed we are all in this industry waiting for a federal privacy law so that we don't have to follow the, like the California guidelines and the Virginia guidelines and the Colorado guidelines. Um, but it's, it's almost like we are in this industry where uh, you're on a, you're on a train and the track is kind of being laid as you're going and you're like about to go off, but the track keeps going, you know, one, one little track ahead of your train. Um, and so I, I think it's really engaging and interesting. And I also think it's, um, you asked me about like the legal perspective, there isn't, unlike, you know, unlike cap markets, there isn't a lot of precedent that you can turn to. So you have to say, this makes me feel icky or I'm comfortable with this and this is why, and here's the risk. And you have to lay that out for the business. Um, and you're also seen as kind of a, not just a, a lawyer, but a business leader, right? You have to, it's our job to evaluate business risk and say, we should go down this path or here's the risk of going down this path, but I would still recommend, or what are the trade-offs? Um, when you're an outside counsel, it's more your job to say, you know, you can't do this and this is why. Thank you. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think extremely relevant. And I like what you had to say about, you know, you're following the track that's being put down. And so I think that leads me into another question that a lot of our students talk about you know, in an industry where there isn't necessarily a set path or a lot of precedent and there things are just constantly changing, that can be really daunting for students to think they're in an industry that's not, this is what I'm going to do every day. And I can imagine your day-to-day -day looks very different depending on what's going on around you. So how do you handle that kind of dynamic job rather than a more stagnant, you know, typical day-to-day -day. and is it something you found that you really enjoy is there are there things about it you might not enjoy things like that yeah it's a good question look I think um it's it's what I probably like most about the job that the, every day is different um I think you have to find a um whether it's a mentor or a industry group or um a group of people that you can reach out to to help guide you. And I was very um, 
transparent and I continue to be transparent. Uh, I was transparent in my interview process coming into this role as a first time GC and I am transparent to consultants, outside councils and other leaders and groups that I talk to when I say, this is not something that I'm an expert in, help me understand this. And I think you have to go and seek out those folks who can help um, paint the picture for you so you can develop your own perspective and you have to be um, open enough to receiving feedback and seeking out guidance from others who can help uh, paint that, help paint that picture for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, my day is definitely, you know, not, every day is, is pretty, pretty different. Um, and I'm always kind of finding areas where I'm learning or, um, you know, opportunities where I can learn. I think the, you're, you know, that's uncomfortable. And so I think you have to understand going in, there's going to be a lot of times where you're uncomfortable, you're being asked to make a decision, particularly in this seat, that um, you're second guessing that decision. Maybe there's not always a, a total right answer. And you're just trying to kind of like, give the best guidance that you can. Um, and if you're someone who is going to dwell on that, and it's always going to live with you, then I think it may not, this may not be the best role. Um, because you have to be able to kind of make your choice, make your decision, like stick to your guns, move on from that. Or if you see that, hey, that was the wrong choice, be able to come back. But I think that the path of kind of indecision and, and fear of making a decision is actually kind of the worst thing that you can do. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I want to talk about one of the things that you've mentioned, which is mentorship. You've mentioned that now a few times. And we know that's important. We hear that in no matter where you are, whether you're in school, undergrad, graduate school, your first time job, you're constantly being matched with, you know, someone older, someone more experienced than you. But in your path and your specific situation, when we have students who, you know, have fears of, you know, how do I talk to someone who's a senior partner or who's my boss? And, you know, I just started, it's my first day. What strategies, I guess, do you have for approaching a mentorship kind of relationship? and you know getting the most out of it yeah look i i see a question I, I think that like i don't know if i have a specific strategy other than to say kind of have to put yourself out there um i would say there's definitely some folks who are going to say i don't have the time or they're going to say sure i'm happy to mentor you and they don't actually follow through i don't think i've ever kind of sought out someone and said i want you to be my mentor um but i've developed I can certainly say a number of people I see as mentors to me. Um, I don't know if I've ever had that conversation of, can you be my mentor? But I've said, you know, look, I really appreciate your opinion on this matter. I respect your your kind of expertise here. Can you help me think through this problem? Um, and and I, yeah, there's probably five to 10 people who I go to kind of on a, on a maybe not 10, but at least five people who I go to on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, and I also think, and so I think, you know, putting yourself out there and not being scared to do it. I also think trying to meet those folks um, and ask more about them, you know, rather than just seeking help all the time, like understanding who these people are, developing a relationship with them, um, maybe going to have a coffee and not asking, you know, questions around career and mentorship opportunities, just trying to learn more about um, these individuals um, can help kind of set the stage for you to like go and ask those more formal mentor mentor -y questions, uh, mentee questions, you know, down the line. I think, yeah, I think that's a great perspective. I think there's a lot of focus on career, career, but there's also a lot of value in finding out 
there. So everyone leaves the office at some point or works their home office, wherever that office is and how it's the life. So thank you for sharing that perspective. So kind of changing things up a little bit and moving on to a new topic. So when you think about your job, career takes up a lot of time, work-life balance, things like that. So when you think about motivations, what motivates you to engage kind of outside of work and get involved in things outside of your community? Not everyone is, you know, a career philanthropist or things like that. But talk, can you talk a little bit about work-life balance and the things that, you know, help you engage with your community outside of just, you know, the tech legal world? Yeah, no, for sure. I, so I think work-life balance is an interesting thing for me right now. So I have um, an almost four-year-old and I have almost one-year-old twins. Um, and so uh, I don't have a ton of kind of like time to devote outside of um, my family when I'm not working. And that is very much become um, the focus for me. It, it does not mean that I'm sacrificing work-life balance. I think work-life balance is very important. And I think family is the most important. And I, and I um, tell that to the teams that I've been leading uh, at work. Um, and it's something that I truly believe in. And so I definitely make time for, you know, whether it's my daughter's swim lesson or um, spending time with my, with my twins. Um, but that is definitely the focus um, right now, you know, as far as kind of like, things that I like to do outside of work. Um, I, I try to stay active. So here in California, I try to go uh, surfing or play golf, which are kind of like two things that I'm really into. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot of kind of dedicated, uh, you know, hey, here's this like other hobby that I'm spending a lot more time doing outside of work and my family right now. And that's totally okay. And that's part of being human. Um, so I like to end our speaker series like this with a fun round, not that everything today hasn't been super fun, but give our students a chance to get to know you a little bit more outside of just your career and all, all the things we talked about today. So I call this our rapid fire round. It's one to two word answers. I think one of my questions might have three words involved, but um, we'll start with, do you have a favorite musical artist and or song by that artist? <laughs> um, yeah, my favorite um, band is LCD Sound System. Um, and I, I would say my favorite song by LCD is probably Home uh, or All My Friends. Home, I think, is what sticks. I know this is not a one word answer, but Home <laughs> sticks out to me because I've gotten back to my daughter for a second, like I'm trying to get her to not just listen to um, Encanto and Frozen when we're on, in the car. And so I'm very proud that I've like gotten her into LCD and XX and Maggie Rogers and some other bands that I can also listen to. Um, and Home is her favorite. So I'm gonna stick with Home. That's a good one. What is your go-to late night snack? Wow. I know, it's a good one. Um, what is my, I, I like dried mango. I'm a big dried fruit person. Um, <laughs> I would say that's kind of my go-to snack. That's a good one. I like the ones from Trader Joe's. <laughs> um, if you could have dinner with three people, past or present, who would they be? No explanation necessary. Unless wow. you want <laughs> um, Three people, past or present, who would they be? Dead or alive. It can be anyone. Uh, hmm. 
I'd say, wow, I've never really thought about that question. <laughs> I would say, um, how about Tiger Woods? I'd like to have dinner with Tiger Woods. Um, how about Steve Jobs? And uh, and my mom would be would be the third person. Yeah, sounds like a great great little group you have there. Um, and then this question, I would be amiss not to ask this because we are the Jewish Graduate Student Initiative. What's your, do you have a favorite Jewish food? Uh, Lakas was my favorite Jewish food. Is that, that's like squarely in the Jewish food, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. Are you more, are you a Lakas with applesauce as a follow-up? Lakas with applesauce or sour cream or both? I, I, I would prefer both. Like I go both. Um, yeah. And I and I'm a and I'm like a flat laka, you know, flat and crispy laka, not mm -hmm. a not a kind of bigger one. Interesting. It might be the opposite. I think I'm strictly applesauce, and I like like a thicker, more potato. Okay. And then finally, what is one word that you associate with being Jewish? Just one word. Uh, community. It's a good one. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us and sharing about your career and insights and industry. We really appreciate it. And we know our students do too. Well, thank you, Maddie. Thanks for having me on the schmooze. Um, appreciate it.